0: What are you drinking tonight? I have red, red wine. Oh, with fan rouge. Is that what you have? Look, all right, that's man. That's what I have. Chin, chin,
1: chin, chin. I can't believe we uh, have this simpatico going on. I'm, I'm gonna drink some right now. I'm digging it. I bet yours is better yeah, than it's mine. It's not really my
0: oh, I severely doubt that.
1: Oh, you got two buck chuck.
0: Yeah, this is a Trader Joe's special. Not is I don't it think really? it's Charles Shaw, but it is it was something at the end of the checkout line at Trader Joe's.
1: Okay, mine might actually be better.
0: Yeah, I think this bottle was uh, It might have been the high quality stuff like $5.
1: <laughs> Did you ever I know we've talked about this. You've you've seen that thing, right? With the the test, the blind test of the tasters? I have not seen that, but I can imagine. Tasters. So they they tested them and they gave them uh, all of these wines. And then for the Coupe de Grasse, they gave them uh, white wine and got their impressions of it. Then they colored it so that it looked like red wine, gave them the identical wine, and then got their impressions of that. And the white wine, they used all of their usual, you know, minerally and all the. The descriptors that they typically use for white wine. And then they gave them the same wine, colored red, and all of a sudden, it was jammy, and it was... It was leather, tobacco. Yeah, yeah, it was all...
0: And it's like, oh my gosh,
1: I I gotta find that, because it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah,
0: I'm always astonished by that, too, because I've definitely seen some results of blind taste tests where... They did say that, you know, the panel couldn't distinguish between whites and reds, which just sounds totally preposterous to me. It does! Uh, you know.
1: I would love to think that I'm capable of actually discerning a red and a white if I had a blindfold on. I I, 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 feel I would like hope I could so, too. Do that. I know, but maybe I like can't. Like, the,
0: could... the mouth feel, I don't know, yeah, the mouth oh, feel yeah. for red wines usually feels
1: just... You get that tannins. And that's kind of why
0: I'm a little bit, yeah, I'm a little bit... Uh, worried about recording like drinking red wine and trying to record because it always kind of makes my <laughs> tongue get dry feel mouth. sort of yeah like coated like i just have a oh, cotton yeah. ball for a tongue uh-huh. so we'll, we'll give it a shot and see what happens yeah
1: it'll give us a more mellifluous tone tonight all right you ready to get us going
0: <laughs> yeah man
1: Hello and welcome to Backers,
0: a fortnightly podcast where we explore the most compelling campaigns in a category on Kickstarter and each pick a campaign to back. We are your hosts, Chris Rumpf and Brian Dupuy. This week we're talking about what we back in the film and video category. Good evening, Brian.
1: A, a good evening to you, sir. A,
0: a good, good evening.
1: <laughs> I think it's properly pronounced film and video.
0: F- film and video. Video.
1: <laughs> film Ugh. and video. what do you think of our film and video category this week, man?
0: As a whole, it was just another one of yeah. those categories that was chocked full of projects. Kind of difficult to, to wade through, I felt like.
1: Yeah. It started off at four ninety one and by the end it was at five oh two and I, I got a little bit of fatigue going through them all because I think you recognized this before I did that it was a little harder to like art and comics. And uh, to a large extent that even the design category, there was a way to kind of get a really good feel for it at a glance just from mm-hmm. the description or just from the panel on the search page, you know, just the, the really raw, bare essentials of it were, were easy to get at. For film and video, no, it was, (laughs) you, you really had to dig down and kind of do a little more legwork to get to the bottom of the campaigns and, and figure out, is this even something that I want to take a look at?
0: Yeah, that was my sentiment too, because we've already explored other categories like art and comics and crafts. And I think by nature a lot of those are just very well, I was gonna say say visual, certainly film and video is too, but kind of statically visual. It's easy to yeah. to look through those projects and look at a glance and tell if it's something you are interested in or not. Where a film and video you come to like I really felt like I wanted to, to give each product its its due with respect to the to the the video, the campaign video. Right. Um, And I think on a whole, it seemed like the production quality of the, the campaign videos for the film and video category was much higher, which is great. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it just seemed like you had to spend much more time with each project to really get a sense of what it was that they were what they were offering. And then if it really had whatever sensibilities that resonated with you, too, to see if you wanted to jump in and become a backer. So, right. yeah, I found it difficult as well to to kind of trudge through all the projects and, and try and see separate the wheat from the chaff if, if you will.
1: Yeah. One of the things I thought, and maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, jumping right into film and video, but one of the things that I found, I didn't feel like there were a whole lot of the kind of the early on, whenever we experienced those campaigns that were kind of just give me money because I want to live a particular way. The, These campaigns, to a large extent, I'd say the vast majority of them had a story they wanted to tell. It was fleshed out. They were, you know, they had good, mature concepts. I think almost, like I said, the vast majority of them were like that. So that was good. It was just a matter of whether the thing they were trying to create was something that I could see myself wanting to watch.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. You mentioned, what we had found in a lot of other categories with sort of those lifestyle projects.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to me, that kind of draws a dotted line back to something I wanted to talk about at the top of the the show here. Um,
1: oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that just segues nicely into Drip. So, I mean, we, we have to talk about this, right? We do. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's obvious that the biggest news this week from around the crowdfunding world has been kickstarter's entry into the market of crowd-backed subscription funding and they've done it with a new service called drip so i thought this was just big news and um i spent a couple hours of diligence just trying not to sound like an idiot tonight discussing it because (laughs) honestly i feel like that i'm just scratching the surface now of everything that's going on here right i guess since the news broke about drip I've tried to collect a few different articles about it, and I'll make sure that they're in the show notes. But one of the better written stories that I saw this week was from The Verge, and that's in there as well, and I'd recommend that as a good starting point just for getting a sense of what Drip is and why Kickstarter is making this play.
1: Sure. I thought it was pretty interesting, and I was curious where it came from, and so this was an acquisition. It was a startup called Drip. And, uh, believe it or not, it predated Patreon. And so they hosted it and I guess rekindled it and got it probably looking more and feeling more like a Kickstarter style uh, venture and then put it out there. I think probably one of the more interesting things that they used to differentiate themselves from Patreon and the other competitors was this way of incentivizing people to get in early. Did you see that?
0: I did. I think they called it the founding member approach.
1: Yeah, so the creators pick a window, and if you as a backer get in within that window, you become a founding member of the drip backing. And as such, you might get special perks based on what the creator decides to give you. So it's a little extra cachet for getting in early and a little extra incentive to jump in before everyone else does. So I think that's a a pretty interesting approach to trying to get people in on these things and, and give them an incentive to do so.
0: Yeah, quoting from their website, every drip begins with a founding membership period designed to help creators build momentum and celebrate their most diehard supporters. So like you said, yeah, just an interesting way to try and build rapport with your community early on and to give people that extra little nudge to to jump in early and, and be a part of something.
1: Right. What did you think about their decision to, uh, allow them to move, allow their creators to move to a different platform if they so desired. They, they specifically made it to where they would help creators do that. I find it to be an interesting choice.
0: I, I really thought that was interesting too. So it sounds like they're aiming to be just really creator-friendly and want to allow their platform to have the technology to allow creators to port subscribers to other crowdfunding platforms. And mm-hmm. like you said, that's just super interesting. It seems yeah. weird at first for a company not to want to try and lock users into their platform. Yep.
1: But That's the typical business model, right?
0: Yeah, but then this, in a way, when you think about it, and if you pull the covers back on Kickstarter a little bit, it fits with their business model of being a public benefit corporation. So mm. this means that they cling to the ideals of putting the well-being of their creators above the traditional business metrics, which are primarily focused on revenue generation, right? Right. So the, the PBC or the public benefit corporation is supposed to make them act for the public good, not just their own self-serving interests. So that was something I didn't even realize quite about Kickstarter, even what that meant. But it's, it's interesting in this context that they're using that as a, a vehicle to say, creators, you know, we'll we'll let you, we're not going to lock you into what we're doing. You know, we right. want you to be able to g- generate this community and then have that ownership of your your community and be able to port that wherever you please. So that's really really interesting. Yeah, But yeah, I guess we didn't even mention at the top. I guess we should do a drive-by on what Drip is even offering. Um, Sure. And we've talked a little bit about how they're trying to differentiate themselves in the market. But um, their website is d.rip. That's kind of clever. It is. And the, the headline on their page right now is, Fund your creative practice through the ongoing support of people who love your work. And like you mentioned, this platform's not a totally new idea. I mean, it seems like it's an answer to or maybe a competitive offering to other subscription crowdfunding sites that are already out there, like Patreon or or GoFundMe. I was looking at the note I had, too, like you already mentioned from the top, that it was an acquisition. And that's interesting, too, that predated Patreon. So Patreon launched back in 2013, and these guys were going on well before that. Yep. But it does feel right now, like in this current landscape, or at least what Kickstarter is trying to go head-to-head with is Patreon, and Patreon's been around and has just seen rising popularity with artists like, um, well, artists and creators, like podcasters and vloggers and musicians, those kind of creative endeavors. And the basic Patreon model is kind of like public radio where, Mm. you know, you're getting donations to back a concept with ongoing payments to show support for something that you enjoy. And that's that's an interesting angle.
1: It is, yeah.
0: And I guess Patreon does have some similarity to Kickstarter with some regards, where uh, what Patreon does have some rewards and perks. But the sure. major difference to me is that backers in Patreon are more fundamentally supportive of a person or idea as opposed to a product or a short-lived concept. So right. in this, you know, so Kickstarter relaunching Drip is... Sort of saying, we're going to have a vehicle for getting creators to try and back projects, and then we're going to have a vehicle to try and get communities to build support and momentum around supporting over a longer period uh, term with subscription-based creators. So that's cool. It is. I guess it was natural. They would have to get into the space eventually.
1: Going back to the whole being able to port your followers to other platforms, it's it's a pretty confident move as well, right? You're not going to do that if you think they're they're going to leave. You're going to say, if you want to go elsewhere because you think it's better, that's up to you. But that pretty much says, we think you're going to choose to stay with us anyway because we have the better platform. So it's ballsy.
0: Yeah, and interesting for a sort of fledgling platform as well. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. It's an interesting play. I mean, in some ways, I guess it has the air of it that Kickstarter is trying to kick off the stigma that it's stagnated. And I know Mm. that total pledges for successful projects on Kickstarter dropped for the first time year over year in 2016 compared to 2015. I don't know how that trend is playing out in 2017. But it's also interesting to note that GoFundMe is now the largest crowdfunding platform.
1: Is it really?
0: Yeah. So even though the cultural impact of Kickstarter is, you know, still undeniable, GoFundMe in terms of I think just dollars paid out now has passed Kickstarter.
1: Oh, I'll be darn. Didn't know yeah. that.
0: Yeah, no? so I think I read that. I think that might have been in the Verge article as well, but it was in one of those articles that we'll have in the notes. Right.
1: Yeah. So, check it out. Drip. Uh it's in limited release now. It's invite only, right? There's like 60 something creators that are on the platform and they're trying to keep it a low-key launch which I think is interesting maybe not flood it with a bunch of people that want you to buy a car for them but I'm curious how that's going to play out in the longer mid mid to long term because like Google really like to do those limited types of launches like do you remember Google Wave oh yeah (laughs) yeah and that I think heard it in the long Even run because Gmail they didn't get the adoption. Only. Right. Yeah. Uh, that one obviously succeeded, but, uh, it, it could bite them in the end. Right.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Moving on. Uh, Chris, I got a thing.
0: You did get a thing.
1: I got a thing. I've
0: seen your thing. I'm so, I, you have,
1: <laughs> uh, hello. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh,
0: Just the I, red I, wine I, talking. It is.
1: It's pretty cool. Uh, That's an aspect I guess I didn't much think about was that with this whole thing, we would start getting items in the mail and it would be like little mini Christmases every once in a while. That's fantastic. So I came home and there was a, a, a package on my doorstep and it was flat and I was like, What is this? And uh, you know me, I order a bunch of stuff, so I didn't think much of it. But then I pop it open, and there's a couple of comics in there. And it was my comics from the Proactive Insurance, the pros, that uh, I didn't end up backing on Comics Week. It was one of the ones that was a mentionable that it was – I think it was my – was it my runner-up? I think it was my runner-up, but I ended up backing it anyway because it was – it was practically pocket change to get four comics and I really liked it. So I did it and now it's here. As I, as I told Chris, uh, Chris actually has them now because <laughs> I already <laughs> finished them. I, I started it last night and I, I guess I devoured them. Uh, so good work there. Uh, Steve, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his final, his last name. Stormian? Stormon? Storman? I did try to pronounce it. I, destroyed it but that's okay very enjoyable is he a wildling it's it's possible yeah he's kissed by fire uh
0: yeah so did you look at it at all yet or i just kind of flipped through it but um i haven't read it yet okay and i actually left them yeah on my table at work so i'll have to return to them next week
1: that's okay at least there won't be a, a three foot tall miscreant Tear it up or something.
0: <laughs> that's right. I figured it was better to keep it out of the hands of the miscreant.
1: <laughs> I love how Nathan's <laughs> a miscreant now. That's just the most beautiful thing. <laughs> uh. So that was exciting. I got a thing. Chris, you got a thing?
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to reading it. I got a thing too. I actually meant to mention this last week because that's they right. delivered super fast, but I got I got my little Brontosaurus Tiny Saur. So that was oh. my backed project back from the...
1: Art? No, crafts. Correct.
0: Yeah, the crafts category. Um, it was not an enamel pin. So... Hmm. Uh, and I was stunned because it came in one of these little oh, yeah. USPS postal mailers that's like postcard style, size. And it came in the mail and I was like, what is this? And it's just a very thin flat pack. And I, d- I guess I just didn't expect the project to to deliver this quickly. <laughs> and sure enough, opened it up and outslid my little flat packed brontosaurus. So I haven't put it together yet. I was kind of wondering if maybe I would attempt uh like a a video or a stop motion video, time lapse video of trying to assemble it. I may attempt that. That could be kind of cool. That'd but, be very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to putting it together and yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be a fun fun thing to assemble.
1: Yeah. It could be like an uh ASMR thing. Very soothing. You could breathe softly and slowly, put the microphone right next to your hands.
0: I could just make mouth noises. (laughs)
1: Nobody wants to hear mouth noises. No. Let's get back to film and video. All right. So uh, once again, you have more than I do, so why don't you start?
0: Yeah, so I'll tell you about the one that I came across first when I began looking at film and video I wasn't really sure, I, di- I guess I didn't come into it thinking like I was going to have a certain thing I was looking for. I just started looking through projects, and somehow this one made its way to the top. It's called Make Your Own Foot-Shaped Workbooks, and it's an instructional video. So I guess I was thinking about more like television or feature film or experimental film projects. I didn't think about a whole category of there being instructional video, but this one just looked great and it's an educational video led by Jason Havader of Laughing Crow School of Non-Lasted Shoemaking so he's a shoemaker out of out of Portland I believe and currently this project is a little north of $7,000 with a $27,000 goal about 124 backers with still 18 days to go and this is a follow-up campaign to one they did previously on a Scandinavian turnshoe. So they've got some success in producing these educational videos on how to craft shoes. And like I said, they broke ground with the Scandinavian turnshoe, which is the type of shoe that's really popular at medieval festivals. And looking at some clips of the that old video and what they say that they're going for in this one, they use a lot of neat stop motion in their videos to illustrate like how the leather is cut and how it's shaped and how everything fits together. It's just really neat. So I was looking at this and maybe influenced by your craftsmanship and your knife making these days. I was like, I want to make a thing too. I want to oh, make yeah. some shoes. So Get in I there. started looking at it. Yeah. It just seemed great. And I've always thought about shoes. Like I think I've mentioned before, like finding shoes always gives me, a lot of anxiety, especially trying to think about ordering shoes over the internet. Like, what if you could just make your own shoes? (laughs) You could try all sorts of different things. And looking at this video, the backing pledges seemed pretty reasonable. It's about $15 for digital access to that previous Scandinavian turn shoe campaign, about $20 for digital access to their new internal stitch down work boot that's coming later next year if this campaign succeeds. And a few extra bucks here or there gets you a DVD copy of the videos, too. So that seemed pretty reasonable, right? But then I was like, well, you're going to need tools. And lo and behold, they actually do have uh, further down backing rewards that get you tools as well. So I was like, okay, great. So That's now I'm looking sharp. at about... Uh-huh. a <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I mean, it really is a great angle they have. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. $130 for the turn shoe DVD and turn shoe tools and the boot DVD too, in case I wanted to get that way. So you get three essential tools that you need to make your shoes, which is, I have them noted here, a skiv, a curved blade, all and a hand stitcher. Those sound awesome. I don't know what they are, but they're going to help me make shoes. So $130, I'm going to have my Scandinavian turn shoes. And then I read down a little bit further. I'm like, Okay, $199 gets me the essential boot tools in the DVD. So I get not only the previous tools, but a groover and a gouge, 10 blades. Oh, my goodness. So I can make my boots and my turn shoes. But then, like, is the essential boot kit going to cut it? Or do I need the $289 basic boot tools? Because then Mm -hmm. you get a stab all and a lip knife. Good, Whatever those are. and. And so I'm I'm thinking about building up this small repertoire of hand tools, which is really cool that you could make shoes with just a few like a shoebox full of tools. Right. But, but then you need materials as well.
1: Oh dear. And let so, me guess, do they have a uh do they have a level for that?
0: Absolutely. So that's just what I was saying that originally I was like, Man, I really want to back this video and then I realized if I was to go down this hole, I would be in for hundreds of dollars of of shoemaking supplies to be able to get all the tools I would need and the materials. So, you know, $469 for basic tools and materials. At that point, you're like, well, he has a reward level too, where for $400, you can just get him to make you a custom pair of shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, all right, Chris, step back from the ledge. You don't need a custom made $400 pair of shoes. So, I just thought this was a really great project, um, by a skilled craftsman with a really high quality video production as well, yeah. but it's just not something at the end of the day that I was ready to bite off.
1: That's a, that's a hefty investment, but you would be able to make more than one pair of shoes, Chris. You could go into business as a shoemaker at that point. That's true. I mean, you're not buying shoes, you're buying a lifestyle. That's a that's a I, minor I thought, investment though, that, for a new lifestyle.
0: <laughs> the mind always does wander, though, so I did start to think about what would my life as a shoemaker be like, and if I was going <laughs> to go that route, you can actually go out and take classes with uh, Jason Havater. So for mm. I think it's anywhere from four to six hundred dollars over the course of several days during a week, you can sit down with him and apprentice. In much the same way you did when you got to start doing knife making. So then oh, I really yeah. started to feel like, you know, if I if I ever want to dip my toe in that world, I know that that Laughing Crow School of non Shoemaking Shoe Making is out there. And, you know, so basically I know where to find them and I know where to apprentice if I ever <laughs> wanted to try and make my <laughs> own shoes.
1: Yeah. That's excellent. That's a good one. I didn't, I admit, I never saw it until <laughs> you showed me.
0: Yeah, but it looks great. I mean... Like I said, I, I was just standing on that that precipice, <laughs> looking down into the the pit of shoemaking, thinking I should dive mm-hmm. in there. I should, I should be, a, I should get in there and swim around.
1: <laughs> yeah, huh? Good campaign, dude. Uh, so my first one that I'm going to mention is uh, I thought it was an interesting idea, but uh, we'll get to it. So my my first one is anti dad, and this is a campaign to create a comedy where this is the this is the pitch. After a one-night stand in a bar, Chris Wilmoth accidentally impregnates a stranger with the Antichrist. That's it. That's the whole <laughs> conceit of their <laughs> dark comedy. Uh, which, you know, I was like, all right, that sounds pretty doggone cute. And I won't go into this one too much because, frankly, there isn't a whole lot of detail on the Kickstarter campaign. But it was really just the... The plot, that one sentence description was like, yeah, I would watch that. That sounds pretty fun. So they're trying to film a pilot and then shop a script to the networks. So the uh-huh. pledge levels, you get like a signed copy of the script for 10 bucks. And for 15 bucks, you would get a copy of the pilot. And that's pretty much it. So uh, I don't need a. A script and if they make the pilot i assume at some point maybe i'll see it so i didn't go any further with that but it was really just the concept and the that plot line that was like yeah i want to see somebody that impregnates someone with the antichrist a stranger nonetheless though, uh, in a one-night stand right so that was the one that i uh, i saw and found a little compelling
0: yeah so it's something that you would consider watching sure but like you said, didn't really want to get in there and own a script too.
1: Correct. Yeah, I'll wait for it to pop up on uh, TBS or something. Yeah. I like your next one.
0: Uh, is that Max Reload and the Nether Blasters?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, did you get a chance to see this one too? Did that come I across did. your radar? Yeah. Yeah, this this one looks like a lot of fun. Um, this definitely made the short, short list for me. And it sounds like this video is already... Pretty far along. It's a feature film about a small town video game store clerk who accidentally unleashes the forces of evil from a cursed ColecoVision game. So I'll just read the story straight from the from the, the campaign description. It says a small town video game store clerk must go from zero to hero after accidentally unleashing the forces of evil from a cursed ColecoVision game. Max Jenkins' game fantasies collide with reality when a legendary Lost installment of the Nether Game series appears on the store counter of his workplace, Fallout Games. Unbeknownst to Max, the game bears a curse of the ages, and in playing it, He has just unlocked the nether, an ancient malevolent force of evil from the cartridge upon his small hometown. Mm -mm -mm. Along with a mysterious masked man and his two best friends, Liz and Reggie, Max must figure out how to beat the nether at its own game before it's game over for humanity. So it just, yeah, this mixes both science, science fiction and comedy in what looks like a really fun uh, movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does. and And it also gives me a very much of a stranger things vibe
0: right it has a lot of callbacks to certainly 80s video gaming Mm -hmm. um 80s culture to me it like also hearkened to a lot of evil dead which of Mm. course stranger things plays against pretty well at times too with a lot of their camera moves so looks like a lot of fun and like i said really um this was my, this was actually my runner up and was, I only didn't back it because I backed something else, but mm-hmm. this looks like a lot of fun.
1: It does. Yeah. Good find.
0: Yep. So what else do you have?
1: Uh, my next one you found as well. This is critical thinking versus a post-truth world. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's it's good
0: it's so fitting for the current age isn't it
1: yeah so this is these people are the school of thought org and it's basically trying to teach people critical thinking uh, so they've already started that if you go to www.yourlogicalfallacyis.com, your logical fallacy they have an entire website dedicated to teaching you about logical fallacies. And so their thought was, we we have this, how could we do more? And so the way they plan to do more is to make a series of videos that teach more about critical thinking. And it's not so much a, a thing to make you feel dumb, but just to help you understand, you might not even realize some of the things that you do, or or whenever you're hearing other people talk, the kinds of fallacies that they rely on to make their points. And it d- never hurts to have more information about how people are trying to manipulate you with false pretenses or logical fallacies. So I thought this was a pretty good thing that we could probably all use more of. And I also liked, I almost backed it just for the the pledge rewards, because I kind of really want one of them is a printed two foot by three foot wall poster of the logical Fallacies, and it's a really nice poster, and I kind of really want it, but I just thought it was a, a really good campaign, and, and I think they're doing a good thing here, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think the idea of just kind of having your awareness heightened, like have your antenna up to be in tune with all the tricks that basically politicians and marketers use to try and influence you, with you know all these sort of uh, false arguments that are so effective and just create division and and right like oh yeah build these camps that are unwavering and yeah it it really seems like we do need to be able to step back and apply critical thinking to to these scenarios and look at. How am I being manipulated? And it doesn't really te- tell you how to think about things. No. I guess really they're just trying to educate you to to look for, like you said, these these logical fallacies and then help you draw your own conclusions.
1: Yep. What you got?
0: Oh, I have one more. I was just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I do have one more. This is called Star Wars, La Fin des Jedi, The End of the Jedi. Oh, mon dieu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to say about this other than it's Star Wars and French. So I was <laughs> <laughs> I was in and wanted and wanted to mention it. <laughs>
1: you francophiles, you may we may bien sûr. Okay, my uh, my final one mentionable, and we'll go quickly since we're running late here. Uh, is Hello World oh, yeah. the film? The byline for this one is Code Runs Everywhere, but who are the people that build it? this f- film explores the men and women who create software uh, so really it's about Chris and I the <laughs> creators are gonna contact us any day now to talk about how we create call center software and uh, I think I think the call is is, is forthcoming uh, no but uh, in all seriousness I thought this was uh, an interesting idea right it is true there's a lot of in every aspect of our lives these days, software is in control of things that might be surprising. And there's a whole load of people whose responsibility it is to create it. And I thought it was kind of interesting to take a look at those people and the I, I, from a developer's perspective to see what other people are doing and how they're doing what they're doing. And they've got a, a lineup of coders and researchers and educators that they plan to talk to that sounds like it's kind of interesting. So I, I thought it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I agree. I didn't have a whole lot to add to this project, but for the same reasons, I was like, cool, a video about what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I would be the hero. Writing software creation is is not always glamorous. You know, there are people out there that have to write call center software.
1: <laughs> Those are the best kinds of people though Chris <laughs> they're they're out there doing God's work. All right so so yeah. is it time Dun, da, 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 da. let's do it, man. let's do you want to go first? Let's get to the backed
0: picks who, went, who went last? You, I do. Uh, I went last so you you go first. Oh, I was just jumping at the bit. I was excited I about this one. So what I backed is called Space Command Redemption. And this is a Kickstarter project by Mark Scott Zekri. They've total they've raised in total now over $55,000. They were targeting $39,000, so you know, they're well in excess of what their target was. About 600 backers today joining in and still 23 days to go. So by the time people are listening to this podcast, they'll still have a chance to go hopefully and take a look at this and hopefully join the community, get on board. Um, Like I mentioned, Space Command's already surpassed the original funding goal. They're now well into stretch goal territory. And the aim for this project is to put the finishing touches on a production that's already begun, which is, and this is in their words, a bold retro science fiction series with all the hope and optimism of yesteryear combined with the eye-popping visual effects of today, as well as past and present superstar sci-fi actors. This is the vision of creator Mark Scott Zekry, who has amassed countless writing credits in shows such as Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, Sliders, Babylon 5, Friday the 13th, The Real Ghostbusters, Smurfs, He-Man, and Super Friends. Good God. Can you believe it? No. I mean, uh, Unbeknownst to me, Brian, this writer-producer, Mark Zekri, is in part responsible for, I guess, a lot of the television I watched growing up. So yeah. that's kind of neat here to see the curtain opened up and see the guy or at least one of the people behind the camera that had a hand in a lot of the shows that resonated with me, like I said growing up, so pretty neat like i it's neat when you like pull the cover back on a project and you're like, "I don't know who this is and then you start to realize, I don't know you're them, like, oh but they actually had an influence on a lot of the stuff I was exposed to, so. Yeah. And if you look, too, at Space Command, yeah, it looks like they just enlisted actors and creative talent from Babylon 5. They also (laughs) raided some other well-loved and well-regarded sci-fi properties to just bring this thing to life, like Mira Ferlin, who was Dillon on Babylon 5 and who was also on Lost, Bruce Boxleitner, who was Commander Sheridan on Babylon 5, and, dude, he was freaking Tron, like, in Tron. He was Tron. Um, yep. Bill Moomey, who is Lanier and danger, Will Robinson, danger. Um, <laughs> and Robert Picardo, who is the doctor on Star Trek Voyager, who has been sprinkled all over sci-fi movies, uh, just in smaller roles here and there. And yeah. then Doug Jones, who, if you don't recognize him, he has done amazing work just in other movies like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. And he's currently on Star Trek Discovery. A lot of his roles, he's usually in makeup, but um, has... Right. just played a lot of parts and if you find his page on imdb i mean he is like the definition of working actor with just hundreds of roles um hundreds of credits so i mean with the cast on display here how could i not back this
1: yeah i was pretty amazed at the cast list like i was surprised because i i couldn't recognize them from the the little quickie screenshot that was on the page Whenever you're searching, right there, it was a little too small to really figure it out. But uh-huh, clicking in uh-huh. and seeing, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I recognize all of these people! How in the world did they pull that off to get all of these recognizable sci-fi stars on this production?" So yeah, that's very cool.
0: Yeah, it looks it looks great, and like there was a down the page to a word from the creator Mark Z. Curry, and he said. As a kid, I loved Star Trek and Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Forbidden Planet, and grew up to write for such great shows as Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5, Sliders. I often hear fans say, why are there so few good sci-fi shows on TV, and why do so many go south? I can tell you, frankly, most of the network suits just don't get it, but you Mm. and I do. And reading that, too, was really all I needed to kind of push me over the edge and and, and back, because I get that. the. The studios often don't really seem to, they don't want to take risks. And I think you're much more well-read, I don't don't think, you are much more well-read than I am. You're a voracious reader. And I'm sure you know all the different ideas and just properties there are to to all these sci-fi books that you'll just never see on screen because the studios aren't willing to take those risks. And the people in suits, like, like I said, they don't get it. So, yeah. like, this is, I think, a perfect this perfect use for Kickstarter where, you know, uh, this Mark Zikery, who's a, a writer who's been doing this for a long time, has a story to tell and would probably just have a devil of a time trying to pitch this idea and get it, you know, get it out there. Get I mean, any it's, traction. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a miracle other things out there, like Babylon 5 and Firefly, even the one season that it was, ever got through the process. So... You know, to have a vehicle like Kickstarter to be able to have people come on board and support this and, and get it pushed through to completion is, is really exciting. So I'm excited to be a part of this, and um, I'm really interested to see how it turns out, and I can't wait to get a look at the final result.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to peek over your shoulder whenever we do.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, very as cool. a backer, I already, already got the first, like, little glimpse today at um some unreleased uh footage so like of the the special effects they're putting together so i was like already getting excited like yay
1: (laughs) it's a little crazy though because if you think about it the number of people that have to be involved in this production 56 grand doesn't go a whole long ways
0: that's a really astute observation i you know like one of the things they're saying is they at this point a lot of it's filmed um and they're really just trying to get more funding to to put the visual effects in place for what they've already done, and right. then anything beyond the goal they're trying to raise for the for the effects, they're going to start putting towards the next installments of, um, I guess, the shooting. But right. yeah, it is interesting to think. I didn't see anywhere in here about where are they getting the bankroll to bring these actors on. Yeah. How are they How are they setting up that structure? Um, Because, like you said, I mean, uh, these these are pretty well-known names. and and Yeah, maybe they're, say, we're going to work for free and take a cut of the back end. Who who knows? Maybe they're just bored. So what would you find? It is.
1: So the thing that I backed is uh, a project called Mushroom Park, the animated film uh, by Tim Rauch. This is love, forgiveness, mortality, and redemption created by Tim Rauch, with art direction by Bill Ray. Uh, And I admit, that's pretty much why I backed it. Uh, If you don't recognize the name Bill Ray, Bill Ray was uh, involved with a little property called Ren and Stimpy. Uh, He's handling the art direction for this. And I loved the kind of over-the-top types of things Mm. that came out of the visual design of Ren and Stimpy. And if you watch the trailer for Mushroom Park, a lot of those types of interactions are apparent in there, too. So I think this looks very exciting and a lot of fun. So, yeah, so this is much. I'll just read you some of the copy. Uh, Two friends fight to stay alive in the vast, mysterious world of Mushroom Park. Mushroom Park is a cartoon about the power of turning back when you have every reason to walk away. Love and forgiveness, mortality and redemption, untamed, unpredictable, and independent. So they've already got a, a cast. There's people from Disjointed. There's people from American Horror Story. So they they've got their own versions of uh, actors that we are used to. So I I just think it'll be a pretty fun little project. Uh, they have a ways to go. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to make it They're They've raised a uh, 7,600 bucks out of a $20,000 goal um, with 25 days to go. So by the time this airs, people could get into, but uh, I think, I think it, it just looks like it could be a blast. So that's what I backed.
0: I think they're going to make it. I mean, they're close to halfway through with almost a month to go. I think this is going to pick up steam and and, and get there. It, it looks great. And yeah. when I saw it, too, I didn't realize until you mentioned to me. You said, well, did you realize that this is Bill Ray from Ren and Stimpy? And I was like, jaw on the floor, like, <laughs> oh, he's handling the art direction. And then yeah. if you look further down the campaign, too, I mean, you just see other names that yep. have been involved with, I mean, really popular prop projects like bobs burger comedy bang bang and then i looked at like the composer was involved with guardians of the galaxy and hobbit the hobbit Mm -hmm. so you know this is a seasoned group of people that are putting on this production it's going to be really high quality looks super fun and i I think you made a great choice
1: yeah so i'm excited i hope they get backed so that's it that is it filming video
0: we knocked it out I did notice that our phone hasn't rung yet from Kickstarter about Drip, about being one of the first 60 projects to Mm. uh, start building community and and be able to offer our listeners to come come join with us. Do you think that was just an oversight?
1: I was actually going to ask you if maybe they had called you instead because I hadn't gotten the call, but you haven't gotten one either?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't receive a call. It wasn't me holding out.
1: Okay. So next time we get together, we will be talking about Food? Have you looked? We're, we're I haven't food. looked. Yeah, I haven't looked.
0: Not, not, not a bit.
1: Um, I'm not. You know what? I'm not going to look. I'm going to come to it fresh after we record, and what I find, I find. I, uh, I, I don't have even know no what to expect. Preconceived I'll, notions or I expectations
0: don't. coming into this one? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really don't. Am I going to get a uh, fruit cake? What? What are those? What do they call those things? Pound cake? No. Is it going to be like two two hundred and thirty six projects that are all soylent? did Soylent start as a kickstarter
0: there's a question
1: I wonder Uh, or did it predate kickstarter I don't know
0: I feel like we should know that but I don't know I don't think it predated kickstarter okay because yeah kickstarter launched in 2009 so it's soylent's got to be younger than that
1: hmm hopefully we can find something tastier than Soylent (sighs) yeah you ready to get out of here
0: (laughs) I can't think of anything else. We've, we've. I think we've taken it on long enough here. Um, I'll <laughs> yeah. let you uh, get ready to go on your Thanksgiving uh, sojourn. sojourn. Do you have your uh, sweatpants ready?
1: I do. Yeah,
0: your turkey. Oh gosh, sweatpants? yes.
1: Yeah, my sweatpants. My big oversized shirt. I. I am set. I will be able to appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> consume the meal. So, Until next time, let's do this. Uh, That's all of our time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time when we will be exploring and backing one campaign from Kickstarter's food category. Backers was produced by Brian Dupuy and Chris Rump. You can find the show notes for this episode and our previous episodes at our website, backerspodcast.com. You can contact us on Twitter at backerspodcast.com or individually at Cold and at Rumpkin. Join us again next time, and until then, back responsibly.